Totally bananas. Do you want to start now? Do you want to like make this the official beginning? <laughs> I am going to remedy this. I'm going to find the right collection of buttons to make this amazing next time, I think. When you probably. do, let me know yeah. how you did it. <laughs> sure, sure. All right. Hi, welcome to Enlightened Couch Potato Podcast. I'm Adrienne Gunn. I'm Nicholas Rave. <laughs> 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 So good. Finger guns. Amazing. <laughs> I am the like dog tongue. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my it's god. It's a window. <sighs> Is Wait this... a minute. Is this cabin fever? Is that what's, what it's <laughs> I mean, I was about we, to say? Have we like, lost our minds? Week the middle of week five. Yeah. From our stay-at-home vacation. Oh my gosh. Oh, stay away thon I'm, I'm turning red and sweating. <laughs> Oh, so I don't think this is supposed to be this funny. <clears throat> no, none of this actually is, unless those people are in our same cabin. I recall many sleepovers where the giggle thing wouldn't happen at like mm-hmm. one or two in the morning, and we didn't know what we were laughing about. Mm-hmm. Those are good. Those are yeah. Fun. That's a that that some of the hardest I've ever laughed is in those moments when you're like sliding down the wall uh, and you can't breathe. <laughs> Yeah, some of my best asthma attacks have been because of laughter. I'm gonna die from laughter. I guess yeah. that I guess as far as ways to go. Yeah, it's pretty good. So we like to chat about television and movies and such and what we're watching and then how that affects our world. I imagine that you, uh friendly viewer who's joined us, is I mean, I imagine you're potentially watching some stuff. Did you know that you could solve things for your own self by by watching the stuff you're watching the stated intention of this podcast is for us to discuss all the different ways that we can think of to help people maximize the amount of psychological and personal transformation that we get from watching stories um, watching movies and tv and we love doing this into a transformational tool. Mm-hmm. So, Nicholas, do you want to talk about what you're watching? Or do you want me to, like, how are you feeling on that? Uh, you go first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like your, I like yours a lot. And then if we, uh, if we run out of time, <clears throat> so be it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we prep before we jump on with you. And we uh, we had many a many a challenging technical things to breathe through. I I I didn't choke down my food to get to, to our meeting on time, but I I chewed rapidly to get here. And I thought of like, okay, wait, I haven't really I haven't been watching with a lot of depth. I haven't been watching a lot of television lately or movies lately. But and I did catch two great uh, shows. So I watched the movie Harriet, which is the new uh, movie about Harriet Tubman. Is it the only the only cinematic feature of Harriet Tubman? I think maybe they've had probably documentaries. I remember watching things in school. And then I watched the Quincy Jones documentary on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of like um, Black People Week for me. And I had... Some interestingly profound, uh, like crying shiver moments. There's a mm. there's a moment where 
Mm. So in the Quincy Jones documentary, he is part of creating the opening of, I think it's the Smithsonian's African-American Museum. And Obama was part of that. Like everybody was part of that celebration. And watching the those scenes of that concert and then opening that series and all of the different different epic black entertainers, musicians, his, his, you know, that have made history. Like the idea, his idea, Quincy Jones' idea was that he wanted there to be a place where young black people could go and find inspiration in the stories of where they came from and how they triumphed and what they were able to create. And I think in the set, in the last bits of, um, I don't know, post forties aspects of his career, he turned back and tried to figure out what can I now do for my community now that I'm in this position of power, like post post Michael Jackson thriller years. That's mm-hmm. where Quincy Jones starts doing the, we are the world. Um, He's a phenomenal person. So his story is fascinating. And I remembered having those kinds of cellular, you know, crying, a little bit of sadness, a little bit of triumph, a little bit of like every now and then I get to tap into shared community. I have a weird situation in culture such that, you know, like black culture, white culture, they're both my culture. My, I don't know if I've said this before. Uh, a good, another mixed race friend of mine. I think we're both biracial, technically. He, he, and I have joked that we get um, all of all of the racism, none of the community. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good deal! <laughs> Yay! That worked uh, out, ouch, right? Yeah, and and it's a it's a different thing. It's a different thing to be biracial. It's like we're 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 own non-thing together Mm. separately without a you know collective story so so that was kind of fantabulous i'm going to talk about the quincy jones thing that i didn't say that's that i didn't write as our theme first because i think it's interesting many times in this documentary he talks about you know, people are like, oh, why, how do you work so hard? How do you, how have you accomplished so much? And he, he keeps saying it's about, you know, he's like, he reflects that it's probably because I didn't have a mother. And it was, it just reminded me the way that stories are powerful. The stories we tell ourselves about who we are and why we are and where we come from. And I know there are a lot of people in my family. I'm saying a, a lot of people in my family while thinking about one human in particular, but there are a lot of people in my family who <laughs> have sort of worn their trauma as sort of a, like a, like a badge of honor mm-hmm. or like their, their cape or something mm-hmm. that they, that they hold on to the story of their, and it's, a, it's an interesting thing because there's a way in which holding on to the stories of your traumas can keep you stuck there in that place and not yeah. actually he- healing and letting it go. And I, I get the sense and I got the sense in his story that, that he was able to utilize it in a way that allowed him to be successful in certain areas. And that's fine. But I also got the sense talking about Quincy Jones Jones, now got the sense that he didn't. He he may have healed it enough to to be in the world, but there's this interesting, you know, this interesting thing about the like the trauma that is like negatively. It's a kind of motivating punishment that we that some people use as a strategy. 
Totally. For instance, I've always had the same thought about Tony Robbins, where Tony Robbins has a lot of baggage around poverty. Mm. And I don't think he's actually healed it. He has all of the tools in the world to heal it and shift it. But in the meantime, instead of that, he's making fuck tons of money and, and utilizing that like poor boy thing to now feed millions of people. I just I just get the sense when I hear him talk about poverty that he still holds it and he's still like is it revered he's like has has a uh, has negative emotions towards that stage such that he's using it to drive himself forward and that's that's something mm. I noticed in the Quincy Jones story. Mm. Yeah, I I think that thing about you're holding on to your trauma and you you it becomes a part of your identity and mm -hmm. then and the problem with these strategies is that they work like mm -hmm. you can walk through life wielding your trauma as a weapon um and you can you can use it to motivate yourself you can use yeah. it to influence people you can even use it to get people to connect with you and feel mm -hmm. maybe um sympathy compassion um you can get other people to come around you and say i've been through that trauma too yeah um but it's it's almost like the whole uh there needs to be a 13th step idea in yep. alcoholics anonymous where at some point you're now saying okay now i'm not an alcoholic anymore yes and i know that that is literally sacrilegious to some people who feel that their life has been saved by the 12 steps um and but for somebody to say i'm an alcoholic and it's been 34 years since my last drink i get it but I also think that you might be limiting yourself. You probably yeah. are. And maybe I, there are some people that it works fine for. So it's, yeah. this isn't a personal thing you have to decide about your own trauma is have you transcended it fully and completely? Yeah. And I know that there's a way that it's sort of a spiral cyclical thing, the way in which we, we address layers of trauma. And we keep releasing it and keep releasing it. And it's interesting that like the collection of identity. I too, I grew up in the 12 step program. That was part of some of my first access to personal development. And somewhere in my twenties, just on my own, I hadn't heard people talk about there needs to be a 13th step. I, somewhere in my twenties, I was like, you know, I think there needs to be a 13th step recognizing that like like holding on to i'm gonna need to look this up there was a gentleman who was in a car accident at 13 and he lost sensation below his waist and he is now as an adult he is now a yoga instructor um was it Parapo paraplegic yoga instructor i don't recall his book but i loved it because he talked about this concept of healing stories and when he was he had healing stories at 13. And one of the things that he was focused on was how to have, how to live for his mother. Cause I think his, I think two other family members or another family member died in that car accident. So his first healing story, as he was becoming consciously aware, cause he was in a coma for a few days, that his first healing story was his, his, his motivating thing was he had to live for his mother. This and then heavy. at some point, <laughs> weeks or months later, after that was his healing story, his, his healing story was about having the strongest arms 
ever and focusing on that. And he kept talking about how your healing stories transition because they no longer have the same fuel and motivating factor. Yeah. And that you, you have to continue to become something new and take on a new healing story. And that's, Maybe it was around that time reading that when I recognized actually there's a lot of language in 12 Stop that could be disempowering and is disempowering. That there's another level that you can get to of recognizing what your new identity is. And that's scary to let go of something that's been working for you for a while and move on to the next thing. Yeah, I this is pretty advanced and it kind of transitions into one of the topics I was going to mention is uh, I believe that there is, there is value in not just getting to neutral about your trauma, that it's not just that it's in the, it's in the red. Right. And then you get to the point where you're like, I'm flat on it. Yeah. I think there's actually value in taking it past flat on it. And for me, that's one of the things that horror does is that it lets you step into things that are inherently traumatizing. Like that's the point of it, but to, to find a place of almost playful delight to like begin to be able to play with your trauma, to laugh at your trauma, to be able to make fun of your trauma. (laughs) Um, That to me is when you've really transcended it. Um, uh, where people, you can't even get offended about it anymore. They can't, can't poke at it because it's not a thing. There's no more buttons to push. So you can't push my buttons. Yeah. Are you willing to transition into your story? Because I think it moves well. You want me to do it now? All right, yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear your other one. I um, love it. I mean, it's like back pocket. It's here. Okay. All right. So I already told you the beginning of this story, but I'll, I'm going to tell it again um, for the sake of those who may be listening. Um <laughs> That seems so. Uh, So my, as you know, my wife and my girlfriend both don't like scary movies. Um, uh, My wife and I've been together for 10 years almost. And she has always been like, there's been occasions where I would show her a movie that was a little too scary. And she would be like, like for days afterwards, um, she's like, don't leave the house. (laughs) Uh, Her imagination runs wild with these things. Some people don't like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a really personal journey with horror movies because I have, I think I've always kind of liked them. Um, But I had a ton of shame and judgment about that. Like I thought there was something wrong with me because I like watching these things. Um, It took me a long time to sort of come to grips with what I'm getting out of it. And the idea that watching these terrible things happen on screen uh, is actually a healing experience if you like surrender to it, but it can be too much for some people, too stimulating. Well, so I found out my girlfriend didn't like scary movies when we first got together either. And um, but I found out somewhat recently in the last few months that when she was a teenager, she used to love them. Mm. Um, and then she she joined a cult. <laughs> um, and a very <laughs> Christian religious cult and got it stuck in her head that these things are evil. And ever since then, scary movies have been really hard for her to to deal with. 
So we've been very slowly taking baby steps into watching that. And Liz has been too. Uh, we watched, uh, the first movie was a movie called Cabin in the Woods, um, which is a kind of a horror comedy, but still kind of scary, really amazing, trippy movie. Um, do you watch scary movies? I forget. Not really. No. No? No. no. Um, <laughs> well, then I guess this story is uh, especially relevant for you. <laughs> so we watched, uh, we watched Cabin in the Woods. Then I showed her a movie called The Thing. Um, which is a pretty intense horror movie, classic. It's always on top 10 list, best horror movies of all time. I love that movie. Um, and Lindsay was totally fine with it. So then we started watching this TV show called Penny Dreadful, which I love. It's like this um, like literary mashup of horror characters. So it's like Frankenstein and uh, Wolfman and uh, Dracula and... Um, uh, Dorian Gray, portrait of mm. Dorian Gray. Mm. He shows up in the character. It's amazing. It's so cool. I think I got, I think I tried to watch the first episode and I, it's started it three times over like five days or something. It's pretty intense. <laughs> so I hear you. It's very bloody, but I, I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so after she started watching Penny Dreadful, I was like, well, let's go for broke here. So we went to the top of the list. The scariest movie for me, probably one of the hardest movies that I know of to watch. Uh, it's a movie called Hereditary starring Tony Collette and um, is one of my favorite movies of all time. And mm -hmm. uh, for anybody watching, if you're not into horror movies, don't watch that movie. I'm telling you, don't watch it. Um, it is intense. <laughs> um, but for me, like, I don't like torture porn. I'm not interested in like saw is whatever, like movies like that, that it's gotta have a point. It's gotta have a purpose. Like, why are you taking me through all this horrible shit? It's yeah. gotta have a payoff that actually I can feel something shift. And this movie is, well, this isn't too much of a spoiler. It's about a magical ritual. Hmm. And so if you let yourself go with the movie, it will take you on a magical journey. Um, but it's a very dark one. <laughs> right. So then so, what happened? Yeah. So uh, so we watched it and she uh, really let herself be hypnotized by the movie she was dancing with the story and like we watched it together. And at the end, she was like uh, she loved it. Um, and then the next day, as night approached, <laughs> she started having a breakdown. Um, it brought up some of the deepest layers of trauma and fear and um, fears about what she, what the movie was reflecting back. And uh, it was intense. Mm. Um, it was really intense. She got so triggered, it triggered me. And I'm pretty good at holding space for people. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, different when it's your people. Yeah. So we processed on it. We didn't stop processing on it. Like for two days, this became like 
the primary thing we were talking about it and working through. And like, I did some hypnosis with her the next morning. And she, uh, like, I talked to her for like an hour doing conversational stuff. And then at one point she was like, I think I need to go to sleep. And then she fell asleep and slept for three hours, which she never takes naps. Nice. So for her, like, it was like a biological purging experience of what was going on. And she woke up, felt totally better. Um, and then we still did a little bit more processing as things went on, but she very quickly got to the place where she congruently said it was worth it. That the, the point of watching the movie was to bring up that stuff. And that's why she would have resistance to watching those kinds of things yeah. because she didn't feel before like she had the space and support to be able to deal with what it was going to bring up. So I'm just not going to watch it. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I guess my, I guess my interest in sharing this was to say, a cautionary tale like using movies as a transformational tool can be deeper and more profound than most people think and it can be scary um yeah. you you had a comment about what does breakthrough look like that i really yeah love. this is really what's important to me so we say cautionary tale in the sense of i think I don't know if this happened in the episodes that we kept. There was an episode that we deleted where I had a point and I don't know that I made it, which is probably why that episode is deleted. The idea that people will ask me, okay, so what kinds of movies or TV should I be watching to, to you know, to instigate some sort of shift or change inside? And I think it's really important to pay attention to your intuition, pay attention to the things that you're drawn to, and also pay attention to your resistance I think we can slowly teach people what it means to pay attention to resistance because the things that you're afraid of, the things that you're resisting, some of those things, you're just resisting them because they're not for you. Right. And when you get better at paying attention to the gifts that your emotions have, the stories that they have to tell, because all emotions, negative, positive, however uncomfortable or whatever, all emotions have a gift of, a, of, a, of telling you something is important. Mm. And your resistance is an emotion that's telling you something that's important. And what I thought, I, I think what we're saying is these, these, these tools can be powerful. And with powerful medicine, I think we also owe it to people to be truthful about what breakthrough and transformation really fucking looks like. Because I think when a lot of us in the personal development world gesture towards you could have a breakthrough, people are like, oh, yay, Yay. I get to be that person that climbed the mountain. And I'm like, oh, effervescent, (laughs) like, yay, all of the stock. I'm going to be the stock photo of glee and power (laughs) and, you know, effervescent joy. Yeah. Constantly. That's what breakthrough looks like. That's no, no, (laughs) that. Mm-mm. Yes, and breakthrough often looks like a breakdown. Mm. Uh, breakthrough is often s- biological cellular purging. I was joking with Nicholas beforehand. I was like, sometimes breakthrough is like diarrhea the whole next day. Yeah. Sometimes breakthrough is you slept for 16 hours. How'd that happen? So, yeah. You know, sometimes it means you you shift and transform and 
then there's like an expansion and sometimes there's a, a natural sort of recoil yeah after the rubber band gets stretched out yeah and then and then it stretches back in it doesn't mean that you haven't changed but it also it is it's necessary for us to talk about the shape that breakthrough can take when it looks like you've failed right like i thought i was supposed to transform i'm fairly certain that dragonflies and butterflies when they're in their larval cocoonish stages that that's probably kind of painful Hmm. there are parts of becoming the goo that becomes a flying beast of of you know magicness and magistry that um that we we probably should talk a bit more about what it could look like to be in the middle of breakthrough yeah i wonder i wonder if it's that old saying pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. And the definition of suffering is resistance to what is happening. And that you can get so good at surrendering to what's happening that it actually isn't painful anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But that the thing that makes it uncomfortable is literally the judgment, the thought, this isn't working. I failed. Yes. So one of my mantras that I say all the time is this is what healing looks like. Yes. This is what healing feels like. When I'm in the middle of an emotional response, reaction, breakdown, (laughs) the phrase, it's working. Like this is what it feels like to be letting go of your fear, to be letting go of your hurt. Um, That it's one of those phrases that when you repeat it to yourself, it becomes true because it removes the judgment that, oh, no, I shouldn't be feeling this way. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of the, this, well, this, I fell down a lot. I was, I was very active as a kid and I couldn't catch myself on my left side. So my like knees and elbows would get me before my wrists sometimes. And so I had a lot of open sores that would scab over. And I was a three sport athlete, the collegiate tennis player. So I, often would sprain ankles or knock heads into people. And there's this process of like, your body knows what to do. That scabbing over, it has a process of how to now Mm. create new skin for you, right? And what your inflammation does for you when you've twisted your ankle, it's there to support you not necessarily walking in a particular way. And, and, you know, like, like, that that recoil back into your body is your body readjusting and, and calibrating. I was like, okay, we've seen this big new picture of who we need to become. And so now we have to clear out all of the stuff that isn't who you're becoming. Yeah. And that happens differently for each person. It takes a different length of time for each person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I loved about your story is I'm like, yes, exactly. The next day, breakdown. Yeah that is breakthrough. It can look like that. And let's celebrate the awfulness of transformation. (laughs) Yeah. There is something about creating the breakthrough in that breakdown by it's almost like making lemonade out of lemons where it's like, if you think the next day that it all is melting down and that it didn't work, then it didn't. (laughs) you will fuck it up. You will wreck the process by judging what is coming up. But by the same token, surrendering to it and trusting that you're unconscious, that even the 
deepest, darkest, most horrible feelings that you're dealing with, if you can trust them, if you can trust that it's taking you somewhere, you don't have to act on it. You just have to surrender to it and feel it and let it flow that um, you will come out of it stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the, the thing I wanted to talk about earlier, the, the back pocket story is this idea that there's another aspect of transformation that I don't think people talk about a lot. And I think it's important. So when we're just stick with the cautionary themes today or like the, 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 the ugly truth of breakthrough and transformation. Oh, there's the title. There's the title. That's the YouTube title. <laughs> Yes, thank you. So <laughs> <laughs> I watched this movie, Harriet. And, and essentially, the, the theme, I guess, for the, the Harriet Tubman story includes, uh, similar to Joan of Arc, apparently a kind of connection with God, a psychic knowing and a calling, and then her following her path and getting herself out of slavery. And then deciding to go back and help free others. Now, I can't think of a better movie metaphor for the arc that people like you and I take. Those of us who have levels of pain enough or are surrounded with people who have levels of pain enough and we just think this can't be it. Yeah, you've got to break free from slavery. Yeah. All that there is to experience. I see freer people. Mm. I can have that. And the people I love can have that too. God damn, Adrian, that is a profound way to make that story even more universal. Right. To think about it as like make the slavery both literal and metaphorical. Absolutely. And yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so a lot of us, I'm talking about me. I think I'm talking about you, Nicholas, because stories that, that we've exchanged in the past, the idea that when we found tools, when we found our own personal freedom, I remember, I don't even know if I'd found my own tools before I had the quest of wanting to help the people that I love get out of their own bondage. And I just kept having the compulsion. Every time I found something amazing, I wanted to turn around and, and help other people and utilize it. Just, I think since I was, I don't know, at least 14, it's been my compulsion. When I find something amazing, I want to share it with other people. And what I remember, I know, Nicholas, you love Joseph Campbell. My, we studied Joseph Campbell in my high school senior, um, I don't know, was it a writing class? whatever they call those things. So we studied in high school, Joseph Campbell. The thing I most remember in the hero's journey is the moment that the hero comes down from the mountain with the golden orb of knowledge and wisdom and the desire to bring it back home to his, his, his community. Cause that's how it was told uh, and share that wisdom. I remember very vividly that often that is n- that they, that they can't, that, that, that the gift and wisdom that they were given on the journey is they have a compulsion to share it, but often they bring it home and it doesn't translate, that, that people don't have experiences enough to actually hear the message and that there's this sad issue of 
oftentimes we run up the mountain to get the learnings for the people in the community that we love. And, and those are the people we're least likely able to help, which is also part of the pep talk at the end of uh, some of our trainings, our NLP trainings that we've taken. It's just like, here's the deal. Many of you have been inspired to grab these tools because you want to help other people that you love. And those are probably the people you're least likely going to be able to help. And I think that's an important thing to talk about. In this movie, two things happens. Sometimes you have to leave the people that you love the most Mm. to pursue your own freedom. Mm. And the cost is you will be dead. Who you were will be forever gone to them, right? So in some ways, you have to you have to like embrace your own death to even pursue your freedom. So that's one thing that showed up in, in the movie. And the other is you may have the desire to free someone specifically and they won't come with you. Mm-hmm. No matter how congruent you are, no matter like you know the way you're connected to God, you've got all the tools and keys, sometimes the people that you love won't come with you. I, I think those two lessons, I, I didn't hear you say the, the first one before when you, when you were mentioning this about like, sometimes you have to leave the people like that is a conversation that I end up having with a lot of the clients that I work with, mm-hmm. that there comes a certain point when you are on a path of growth where the people around you are either going to grow with you or they are going to need to leave mm-hmm. um, or they will pull you back down. Yep. Um, now, I, I will say there's a there's a, a, a glimmer of hope here. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's not to say you can't ever help the people that you care about the most. And I mm-hmm. think I used to think that. I, I think I used yeah. to think that the people you care about the most, you're the least qualified to help. Sure. Um, sometimes that's true. And you have to be prepared that you can't help everybody. Um, that there are people with whom you just reach a wall. And um, like my sister was reading a book about uh, like children of alcoholic parents. Mm-hmm. Um uh, my mom wasn't an alcoholic, but she definitely had a lot of addictive tendencies and her parents were both uh, alcoholics. Like a and what's that? Adult children of alcoholics. Yeah. So um, in the book, one of the chapters that she shared with me or sections was sometimes you have to be willing to let somebody die. Like it's their right. It's their choice. And you can't stop it. Like short of putting them in a padded cell in a, um, a, uh, straight jacket. Um, sometimes you have to be like, okay, these are their choices and there's nothing more you can do about that without ruining your own life in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the other hand, to me, the people that I want to surround myself with are the people who are going to grow with me. The people who I have to work to try to keep up with their growth yeah. where that when I, when, I, when I see something, when they're struggling and I'm like, hey, can I help? That they're not just open to it, but they're enthusiastic and grateful for that feedback. And that when they give that feedback to me, hopefully I'm open to it as well. 
that's iron sharpening iron. So it's more a thing to know that there are some times when some people will make the choice and there's nothing you can do short of, you know, uh, if you go down, I'm going down with you, which yeah. there is, there, <laughs> there's even value to that sometimes. That um, was the theme of uh, what dreams may come, which was yeah. my watching of a couple weeks ago of like sitting down, making the choice to go down with you. There are instances Ty where that's. Yeah. Titanic has yeah. that, the, the part when she's going to jump off the boat, spoilers. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and Leo is like, well, I'm going to have to jump in after you. And he convinces her that he's literally going to do it. So she's like, well, I can't jump now because I, it's going to end up killing this other guy. And that's a level of compassion that can, that can wake people up sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes it won't. Yeah. Well, so here's here's what I think the the joyous message of when you have a calling and you hear the call and the risk is that people people you love that you have to leave the people you love and you may not see them again and you might not be able to save them in this particular story she continued to show up and choose yes, choose the connection that she had to God and following that path and following that message forward, forward. It meant that she saved thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people because she was willing to make the choice and take the risk. And, and, and a lot of people aren't. So I'm just saying the, the, on the other side of your own personal freedom, mm. it may mean you don't save seven people, 12 people. I'm going to give your, your family that sort of like seven to 12 people who won't go with you and you'll be dead to them on your new journey might mean that you're saving thousands. Yeah. It, it's a similar point to the, the thing I always tell parents that the number one thing you can do to help <laughs> your kids as a parent is be healthy. Yeah. Save yourself because you will, they will learn more by your example of uh, prioritizing, taking care of yourself and figuring out how to um, go on your own journey. That, that hero's journey, you go on that journey and you save yourself. And by doing that, you save thousands. Potentially. Those were all of my stories. That's it. Hey, yeah. way, to, way to tie it up and take it uh, up a notch <laughs> at the end there. Excellent. Um, I, feel, I feel good about this yeah. one. This one was deep. Well, yeah, hmm, I we, we can be, we can be, um, you, you know, deep one of my comments? favorite, uh, favorite things to, to participate in. Yeah. Deepness. Hashtag deep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we did not get comments specifically today. We had oh, some, I, I got some viewers. one. I got oh, one. you did? Yeah. Uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Fisher says, love the hero's journey. The magic of the Holy Grail isn't the grail itself. It's the story of getting it. And it's an often ineffable story. Perhaps the story is mostly for us or for those who are already on the search. Wow. Did I get magic? It might've been under my- uh... Personal one? Yeah. That makes sense. You know what I think? I think, <laughs> you know what I think happened? No. Adrienne? No, I think you posted this on my personal page, not on Enlightened Couch. Patel. I posted this on 
or my business page? Your business page, my business page, Enlightened Couch Potato, and then we post it on our personal pages. So we should be in five Oh, so you're doing it all over. Wow, we are cross-posting. Yahoo! Yeah. Yes, we're like busy uh, bees. (laughs) Just cross-pollinating as much as possible. Good, nailed it. Open up, you sexy flowers. (laughs) I'm gonna get in you. And on that note, Wait, I think we're good for today. Phrase? Yeah, I'm going to get in you. <laughs> Let it get in you. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty good. Like, honestly, like, take me on a journey. That's my version of that, right? <laughs> all right, on. Happy journeying, everyone. All right. Fabulous. Time. We love you all. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>